Porn has robbed the nation of thousands of men in the pro-life movement. Today we talk about that and other reasons why men aren't involved, but should be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in once again. My name is Peter. I'm the host of the show. And with me again is my good friend and wonderful co-host, as I say every time, Cameron Cote. <laughs> Thank you, Peter. It's good to be back. Good to be talking about this. This is coming out one week after International Women's Day. I hope that you tuned into that great episode with Micah Rosenall, our wonderful colleague. And some of you might kind of roll your eyes if you see like, uh, oh, they're trying to honor men now. No, this isn't about honoring men necessarily. We've certainly worked with a bunch of great guys in the movement. But as we're going to get into part of International Women's Day, part of being able to empower women is the role that men play in empowering women. And we're going to talk a lot about why there are fewer men involved in the pro-life movement now um, for a variety of reasons and and how men can step up to the plate to better empower women. But I'm getting ahead of myself, Peter. Let's do some introductions on talking about where we're at, talking about how people can get some of the sweet merch that both you and I have in the background. Where do people get some of this and how do people support the program? Absolutely, sir. Some of the sweet merch, like the one I have in the background and here, Pro-Life Guys mugs. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that water bottle. For those watching, Cam held up the wonderful aluminum Pro-Life Guys water bottle you can take with you wherever you go. You can find that on prolifeguys.com slash shop uh, and some of our other merch items as well as some books, some merch. Um, well, it's cool for us that you have Pro-Life Guys merch and, and we think that's pretty neat because we happen to have branded ourselves as the pro-life guys. What's even greater with this merch is that you are helping support the program. You're helping us uh, create better content, um, in a sense, have more time as well to do this and market the content to reach more people. We have another person on the team, Carissa, who's been uh, helping us out with some of the marketing side of things. And so all of the support that we receive from each and every one of you helps tremendously to grow the program and to have more people learn about pro-life apologetics and how to be effective and winsome in their engagement uh, with those who have a contrary worldview. I was going to mention pro-life, uh, the, uh, the Patreon as well, but Cam raised his hand, has something important to say. Take it away, sir. Oh, just a quick shout out to Christine in Tyler, Texas, who actually just went into our merch shop and purchased a couple of books. They're going to be coming your way. Christine, thank you a ton for wanting to invest in your own growth in the pro-life movement. You got a copy of Stuck Coming Your Way and Culture Wars. So big shout out to Christine. And you can be like Christine. You can go to our store and you can buy this stuff right there. You can be cool like her. But sorry, I cut you off on Patreon. What's the word on Patreon? Patreon, yeah. So you can be like Christine and buy some merch, or you can be like Carolyn or David or some of our other supporters on Patreon. Maybe you're thinking, I don't need any merch. I want to support the guys, and I'd love to be part of an Ask Me Anything session or some of these private sessions that we have with some of the leaders in the pro-life movement. You can do that on Patreon, patreon.com slash guys for the same reasons. I mean, you help us support the program. You help us get the content out to the world and, and all of that. So thank you for that. Cam, we are getting into a challenging topic today. I think it's going to be challenging. I mean, it's it's a, it's a hard topic to talk about, uh, but it's also a hard topic to hear and certainly a hard topic to hear if you are involved in the very thing that we're going to talk about, which is pornography. Now, let's make some, some introductory comments here. We're going to talk about porn. We're going to talk about our theory of how porn has negatively impacted the pro-life movement. What we don't want to do is just shower down and rain down condemnation on each and every person who has in any way thought about or looked at porn. That's not the goal. 
We're going to highlight some statistics, highlight our theory about what's going on. And then, I mean, we'll, we, we want to adorn this episode with grace as well, as we're going to get to in a little bit. And then, Cam, you had two other thoughts as well, because one of the things we want to do is have more men involved in the pro-life movement. I know pro-abortion supporters often, you know, they, they look at us and be like, you guys are just men wanting to control women's bodies. And then they forget to take a look at some of us the staff photos that we have here at CCBR and you have to like squint to find the guys in the photos because we attract so many young women who take part in our projects. Now we have a lot of women in the projects and, and we do often, I mean, let's, uh, let's be straight about this, have a hard time attracting men to some of our internships, to some of our programs, to join staff, to put some sort of key investment into the pro-life movement. But I know you want to highlight something and I'll, I'll give you the floor in just a moment, not every man that is not involved in the pro-life movement actively on the front lines, that doesn't mean they're not involved at all. So help us out as we continue to think about where we can start thinking about our theory of porn affecting the pro-life movement in a negative way. Yeah, we're definitely going to dive into that in depth about porn as one of the many reasons that, and, and arguably one of the largest reasons as we'll get into impacting the volume of men in the movement but we do want to give a shout out because just like there's a ton of women in the background of the pro-life movement yes peter and i are arguably the most visible um people especially as part of the pro-life guys podcast um there's a ton of women there's a ton of fellows in the background that are actively involved in the pro-life movement, sharing and making sacrifices of their time, their treasure, their talent um, to advance the cause of preborn children and mothers and fathers in this country and around the world. Um, and we want to give them a huge shout out. And so in some ways, I'm sure that we're going to be preaching to the choir because I know that many of you who are in our audience who are listening today and have listened to other episodes are actively involved in the movement. And so a huge shout out to all the fellows who are financially partnering with various pro-life organizations. Shout out to those who are volunteering on a regular or sporadic basis. Shout out to those who are prayer warriors for our teams and for um, preborn children who are being led to the slaughter. There are a ton of men involved in the movement and we want to give them the honor and respect that they deserve for the sacrifices that they are currently making. What we're getting at, Peter, you and I, is that there are a lot of men who are not involved in the pro-life movement or certainly not involved as in depth as they could be maybe they they are able to to kick in a couple of dollars or a couple of hours here and there of what could be much more we don't want to um condemn the widow's might if, if you only have an hour a month to dedicate towards pro-life um, endeavors and you give that hour a month we are incredibly grateful and we are grateful for you even if you're giving an hour a month and you could be giving 10 or 20, but we want to challenge you and ask the question why many men aren't giving not only as much as they can, but for many of them, nothing at all. And so let's dive into a few of these issues. As we've talked about, some of them are heavier than others, but I think that they are all important, especially this first one, Peter, that we want to dive into that we mentioned off the top, the issue of pornography and how it has robbed this current generation of the pro-life movement of thousands, if not tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of men because of their porn addictions. Absolutely. Yeah. So for, for a lot of people, a porn and abortion might not have such a clear connection or, or porn and not just abortion, but porn and why men aren't involved in the movement. But yeah, let's, let's dive into it, Cam. I'll share with some stats from a Covenant Eyes report and, and from a number of other places as well. Um, you'll talk about the results um, that that's having, and then we'll, we'll make that connection to the pro-life movement. So here are some stats. According to Covenant Eyes, 90% of teens 
and 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. Uh, the first exposure to pornography among men is 12 years old on average. I've heard Cam um, way younger than that, eight, seven years old as well. Um, but average is 12 years old, according to this report. One in five youth pastors, that's 20% of youth pastors, and one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis and are currently struggling with it. And so the stat that Covenant Eyes gave is that's more than 50,000 U.S. church leaders that are struggling with porn, that are watching porn, consuming it. 64% of Christian men say they watch porn at least once a month. That's two-thirds of Christian men admit that they watch porn once a month. 51% of female students first viewed porn before their teenage years. And so, Cam, not even looking at the, the connection to the pro-life movement, I think some of these stats highlight very clearly that porn is a prevalent, a very prevalent issue. I didn't think, I don't think we have to convince people that porn is a prevalent issue, but, but this really shows that it is. And not just in sort of the, the secular culture out there, the folks out there who are unchurched, who don't have the same worldview as us, who are not Christians, you know, you name it. It's not just those folks out there, but we're also talking about people within our own communities. Cam, you're Catholic, I'm Protestant. Uh, and this issue pervades both of the Catholic Church, the Protestant churches, and, and so many others as well. And so so people around us, our friends, our families, folks that could be involved in the pro-life movement are consuming porn. Where's the connection? Now let's dive into the result a little bit. Maybe talk about what does this mean? What is porn teaching us? How is porn rewiring our brains, making us think a little bit differently? Yeah, and and I absolutely want to avoid trying to break porn into like quote-unquote good porn and bad porn because all porn is terrible porn that should not be consumed. I have known um, wonderful uh, men and women alike who have been addicted to porn. And so if you're addicted to porn, as Peter mentioned off the top, there's not a condemnation of you. I have had very, very good friends who have been fighting for a long, long time to try to combat their porn addictions. And huge shout out to them because this is, like any other addiction, a massive um, battle that is being waged in your brain because that's how porn impacts you, right? Like a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that porn is an addiction, that it rewires your brain, like you mentioned, and it is rewiring the entire way that we view women in general and men as well and and just human beings as consumable products rather than um, image bearers of infinite value made in the image and likeness of our lord um, this is something that is completely overhauling the way that countless men and women are viewing the issue of abortion because it changes the way that we view the issue of human value and human dignity right we often talk in the pro-life movement about how we need to respect and value and um, uphold the dignity of the person that we're talking to. Because if we don't value the adult we're speaking with, they cannot comprehend why we would value the preborn child that we're trying to defend. If adults have no value, why do preborn children have value? Tragically, that is what has happened in society through pornography as well, that we have commodified the human person in such a depraved way that so many guys in particular, and this is not to make a porn just a guy's issue. We know that it's not. If you want to learn more about this, as we're going to say throughout the episode, um, head over to our friend Jonathan Van Maren's blog, The Bridgehead. 
He puts out a ton of incredible content. Again, a shout out to groups like um, Strength to Fight, um, friends of ours in um, the Christian community and, and others, Fight the New Drug, all this kind of stuff. This is reframing the way that we view pornography, the way that we view people in general, particularly as you consider the fact that pornography, though, as I mentioned, all pornography is bad, it is getting worse and worse and worse. That, that a sociologist and porn researcher, and interestingly enough, a radical feminist, Dr. Gail Dines, posits that a quick overview of the internet's most popular porn um, sites, so that one of the most popular categories in today's day and age is um, pornography that involves women being violently attacked by multiple um, perpetrators at any given time with all sorts of physical abuse and violence, verbal slurs and, and atrocious things entirely. This is what people are, are consuming on a regular basis. And even if it's not what you're consuming, the quote unquote good porn that you're consuming is not good. Porn is bad, like I said, and this is entirely overhauling the way that we view society in general. I, I can't emphasize that enough, that when we dehumanize somebody that we are um, watching perform sexual acts on a screen, it, it is impossible, I, I would argue, to be able to isolate that from how we view the people that we're interacting with face-to-face -face or online or in other capacities on a day-to-day -day basis. This isn't something that you can switch on and off. I'm going to objectify humans in this realm of my life, but not other realms of my life. And even if you're trying to do that, that tension, as we're going to get into Peter right now, the result of this and how this is impacting the pro-life movement is debilitating so many people as they try to come to terms with, can I act for justice when I am participating in injustice and sin, I suppose. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, Cam. And that's where we get to that theory is men who devalue women in their spare time and are sexually gratified by doing so in many ways. And, and, and we've had this in conversations. We've seen it. Uh, but this is the theory. Can't find it within themselves to value preborn children. In a sense, it's terribly hard to defend the vulnerable by day while taking advantage of the vulnerable by night. I think of the question that uh, our colleague Jonathan Van Maren, you mentioned his 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 uh, blog, thebridgehead.ca, which has some fantastic resources on this. He asked the question, if by night, tens of millions of men are dehumanizing women on their laptops and smartphones, how much easier does it become to dehumanize the offspring in their wombs? And if we can objectify the women we can see, how simple does it become to objectify the preborn children we can't see? And so I mean, we could talk about porn, we could talk about the effects that it, have, uh, that it has on people, how it, it, it guts people of their drive, it, it numbs them to a desire to see truth and goodness and beauty uh, shine and, and, and really glow in this world. And uh, a lot of guys feel like they need to get their act together before they do anything pro-life. And while they're not getting their act together, they certainly are not doing anything pro-life, whether whether it's uh, funding in some way or whether it's getting involved in the internships uh, that we have or other organizations or in some of the other programs as well. Now, like we said, we don't want this to be strictly condemnation. We also want to show that there is, there is a way out of this, right, Cam? I mean, there's a way that we can move forward. You can be free from porn. Um, and not only can you get your act together, but your, your life doesn't really have to go on pause until you do so. One of the things I'm going to touch on briefly at the end is that we all struggle with sin. We have all struggled and struggle with sexual sin. 
Um, but this should not hinder us from continuing our battle against that sin and our battle to uh, to to do what is good in this world. Cam, you mentioned strength of strength to fight, which is a, a Canadian uh, anti porn organization dedicated to help you. Uh, fight your porn addiction. You mentioned fight the new drug. So strength of fight is strength fight.ca fight the new drug, I think is ftnd.org. But if you Google fight the new drug, Cam's going to check it out, but I'll put it in the description as well. And then I want to, to, to direct people to a fantastic episode that man, we talk about Jonathan a lot, don't we? But he's, uh, I mean, we just, I just had him on the other day. And one of the comments was this guy, this guy has gold every time he, he opens his mouth. And so, uh, I, he does that for us as well. And so we continue to share some of the things that he's put out and he's, he's put out a lot, but he has this episode on the Van Maren show with LifeSite news, which, which he hosts called dating after porn and how to beat an addiction. That was a fantastic episode. You can, you can find it. I don't know what, uh, what episode number that is, but the link will be in the description and you'll be able to watch it. I think watch it, but certainly listen to it, uh, over there. So Cam, that's a theory, is that uh, men are devaluing women. Men are dehumanizing women and girls uh, in their spare time, or maybe not even their spare time, maybe at work, maybe elsewhere, but with their porn addictions. They're training their brains to dehumanize the people that they can see in front of them. And, and by doing so, it makes it so, so much easier, as Jonathan pointed out, to dehumanize those that they cannot see. Before we dive into the second point here, anything that you want to add on, on this topic here? Two super quick things. Um, first one, that website is fightthenewdrug.org. Uh, fightthenewdrug.org. We'll put that in the link as well. That episode that you had mentioned from Jonathan is episode 105 on his The Van Maren Show. Um, and again, I, I can't say enough the importance of getting professional help in this area. That There's tremendous resources available. It's something that a ton of guys struggle with. And uh, we, we had a speaker come in, Josh Gilman, a, a great friend of ours. And he said that starting the fight is the most important step. That success may not come immediately. Like with any kind of addiction, it's not a matter of just like, oh, okay, I guess I don't want to watch porn anymore. I guess I'll never watch it again and just not be interested, not have to struggle, not have to fight. The fight is so important. And so don't be discouraged. Don't say like, like Peter, you mentioned this idea of I have to get my act together before I can do good things for the people around me. I, I have to be consistently living a Christian life before I can start publicly living a Christian life. As you mentioned, we all struggle with sin. And, and this is something that absolutely fight with the resources available to you in your personal life so that concurrently you can be fighting the good fight in your public life as well. And so definitely want to invite, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to us, neither Peter nor I are counselors, but um, if you just want a guy that, that, to um, share where you're at with and, and get you connected with some of these resources, then please don't hesitate to hit us up on one of our social media platforms um, and whatnot. We're here to help. We're here to to help you with what you're going through. Um, we might not be the ones providing all of the help. We might be able to connect you with friends or colleagues of ours who can offer better support, better help. Um, but don't let this be something that you put off, right? The the $19 a month for Covenant Eyes or the, the this or the that. Like, don't let some financial burden... Um, 
hinder your recovery from porn addiction. Like if, if you can't come up with those 20 bucks a month or whatever Covenant Eyes is, contact us. And I, and I promise you that somehow we will come up with that money, whether it comes out of my pocket or Peter's pocket, or we find somebody else who, who can help you um, start that. Absolutely reach out to us. So that's kind of tying up the, the first one, Peter. This, the next couple I think are very real very relevant as well, though less of a theory and less of just stuff that we have seen on street corners and on doorsteps and talking to guys at pro-life presentations as well, that I genuinely believe, Peter, and, and I'd be curious on your take as well, that there are a lot of guys that have bought the lie that men can't have a voice in the pro-life movement. I have seen lots of guys who have taken back bench kind of roles in their pro-life organizations or have thought that their their role has to be limited to financial support because they keep getting attacked every time they get out and do pro-life outreach. And I'm going to pop a bubble here and say, guess what? Those attacks just get passed on to women, right? Like, yes, they're going to come after you for being a fella, but it's not like once all the fellas disappear, they're going to have nice, cordial, respectful dialogue with the women that are remaining, right? This is something that is simply going to get passed on into ad hominem attacks against those women. That's right. Yeah. And I have seen that, Cam. And I think there's a bit of a difference between how I see that at universities and colleges and in the public square and back at home in the church community and so on. In the public square, people are open about it. They're like, this is not my issue. This is, you know, if my girlfriend gets pregnant, if she gets pregnant, like this is just not my conversation to be a part of. Uh, but then back at home, I don't think anyone that I've really talked to in my communities is like, yeah, abortion is just a woman's issue. That's why I'm backing up. But they certainly live like that. So whether it be because they don't know how to respond, they're unsure about what their place might be, they, they might not have bought the lie in the, in the sense that they're going to be sharing that with other people, but they've bought it as a sort of, this is how I'm going to live. This is how I'm going to act because, you know, I'm a guy because everyone in the media seems to hate when guys are involved. Therefore, it must be more effective for everyone if I just sit back and, and let, you know, the women in my life uh, take over. But yeah, like you said, Kim, that just gets passed on because the argument is not, so if pro-abortion, uh, activists are consistent and, and they're they're open. The argument is not that men should not get involved in the abortion debate. It's that pro-life people, men and women, should not have an opinion in the pro-life and in, in the abortion conversation. That's where it gets down to. Uh, it just the 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 argument just gets passed on to women. All the guys are gone. Guess what people say to to women is that they should not have a stance in the public square. They should not be there presenting their opinions on abortion if those opinions are of any sort of pro-life uh, perspective. And and the opinions that should be held are only by those who hold a pro-choice position because the same people who say men can't have an opinion on abortion laud uh, and and join parades with the men around them who are pro-choice. And so a bit of a inconsistency there. Anything else you want to add? I know, you know, how we can think through that. Yeah. So what we, we did a full episode way back when I think it was like episode six or seven or something as to why men can be pro-life. And just like you said, this is a matter on the abortion issue uh, or abortion advocate side that this is people who disagree with me shouldn't have a, a voice on this, regardless of whether they're men or women. Uh, men can certainly have opinions if they support abortion. The only thing that I would say is just anecdotally, the number of times 
I have seen guys try to pass off conversations from, you shouldn't be out here, you have no uterus, no opinion, and the guy tries to pass that over to a female colleague. I've seen this myself, I've seen this with um, the guys that I've worked or interned with, who have been like, oh, well, do you want to talk to my wonderful friend, Nancy or Cynthia or whomever? Um, I've never actually worked with anybody named Nancy or Cynthia, I don't know why I threw out those names, but... They go over and they start attacking them on, well, she's she can't have an opinion. She's privileged. She's Christian. She's this. She's that. She's whatever. And then realizing that this was really just my pride or my self-dignity or self-respect that I didn't want to have compromise. I don't want somebody telling me that I'm a bad person. Therefore, I'm going to tell them to go tell somebody else that they're a bad person. I think we need more guys to be the anchors of those pro-life displays of like, no, all of the angry people come yell at me rather than than yelling at this um, tiny 18-year-old girl that is such a beautiful heart and beautiful woman. Um, it boils my blood when I'm out pro-life outreach and you get these huge hulking guys screaming their face off at these tiny, beautiful women. And... Um, just the absolute absurdity of it. And just, guys, take that heat. Take that um, that vitriol and hatred and everything on yourself and allow the women to um, not, not have that <laughs> vitriol poured out on them. And so don't be uh, avoiding the pro-life movement because all oh, women can do this so much better than me. Yes, your skill set might not necessarily at this time be fit towards having conversations on street corners, but that isn't because you're a fella, right? Don't let cowardice um, stop you from this because the women are not having an easy time of it. They are incredibly courageous for what they do. Pro-life work doesn't become easier just because you're a female. Pro-life work is difficult regardless of who you are, and we need more people doing it. That's number two, Peter. What's number three? Love it. Yeah, perfect. Diving into number three. And this is a this is a legitimate one um, because it is that men are often, often, almost always busy pursuing their career ambitions, busy, uh, you know, doing the work that's been set before them in, in trades or e-commerce or whatever it might be. And I think this is good. I mean, finding careers is good and necessary. Being involved in our culture is good and necessary. Cam, I'm doing some reading, um, not as we speak, but sort of in the this week. Um, about work and the importance of work and the Christian mandate to work. And one of the the quotes I have here, let me see if I, I can find it. So the, the author's like, this, the story of scripture, however, is not one of God plucking souls from a fallen creation, but God saving people as part of his renewal of creation. And that renewal of creation um, encompasses the building of culture by Christians, encompasses taking, um, yeah, taking uh, authority, taking... Uh, I can't think of the word that's on, supposed to be on the top of my mind, um, but being in the different spheres of life, being in banking, being in business, being in agriculture, being in all these different uh, areas of work and and doing them to the glory of God, working in them to, to the glory of God work is a very, very, very good thing uh, that was given to us before the uh, the fall in Genesis 3. God gave Adam a garden with roles and responsibilities and not just a garden with a hammock where he could relax and rest. But here's the thing, Cam, as we as we need to point out, and that is that saving babies is also particularly important. Being involved in the causes of justice, including the justice of preborn children, is also particularly important. And one of the things that we've been challenged with in the past 
by the very nature of us being here at this point. Um, and also, you know, some of the others that we work with and that we have uh, other men that we have conversations with as well, we challenge them on, yes, these careers are good. Yes, they're vital. Yes, they're necessary. Yes, they're a very Christian thing to do. But another Christian thing to do, a very Christian thing to do, is being concerned with loving justice and doing justice and seeking justice for those who are marginalized and oppressed. And one of the ways of doing that is fighting abortion. Yeah. And and just to build on that as well, like you said, that this is a noble effort, not, not just as a, a volunteer opportunity, but as a career as well. There's many fellows that are working full-time in the pro-life movement, pursuing incredible careers. Uh, you don't get rich working in the pro-life movement, but it's certainly rewarding and certainly has the stability to be able to provide for a family. I, I think of great colleagues of ours, Nick Rosendahl. I, I think, apologies, Nick or, and Micah, if you're listening, um, I think they have six kids, maybe seven kids. Um, Jonathan and Charmaine, Peter, you and myself, we're both married. Like This is a career for us. This is work that we are able to do for the glory of God and for the protection of his children. Um, and let's not just reduce pro-life ministry to another hobby, right? Like I, I go to work at times because I want my wife to be able to pursue her hobbies as well. And I want to be able to pursue my hobbies. I want some of that finance to go towards my, my registration in the baseball league and to be able to buy sunflower seeds so that my wife can, can enjoy the garden as hobbies. Pro-life work can't just be a hobby that like, oh, I work so that my wife can can tinker around with trying to save babies on Tuesday afternoons kind of thing. Like this needs to be a concerted effort in whatever capacity we can make it. And like you said, pursuing acts of justice in a highly prioritized way. And maybe that means once a month or a couple times a year, but maybe that means once a week. Or maybe that means financial contributions, or maybe that means um, dedicating your particular talent towards supporting the pro-life movement in, in one way or another. We hear all these cool stories of, of trades people or artists or, or business people, whomever they may be, that are able to dedicate their talent towards the movement in some way or another as well. Um, yeah, I, I think that if you are trying to pursue a career, then good on you. Um, there's definitely a career within the pro-life movement um, that, that we'd love to talk about as well, but allow that work to allow you to flourish beyond work. Let's not just think that our, our work in serving God through work is done at the at five o'clock sort of thing. We can go home and crack some some cold ones and we've done our, our day's work for the day. Rest is good. Rest is valuable. But um, there are definitely some pro-life causes that you can help out um, outside of your conventional work hours that demand a little bit higher prioritization than the chess club or the, um, the, the local garden sort of thing. Yeah, that's right. Cam, I think about some of our friends, not just in the pro-life movement full-time, but those who volunteer on a really regular basis, have started local community groups like Tim in Niagara mm. and uh, and are, are very actively involved. I think of John in Windsor, who's out regularly on the streets. These guys have jobs. These guys have families. They have full-time careers, and yet they spend their Tuesday and Thursday nights out on the streets having the conversations. And so, um, yeah, taking that uh, call to pro-life action, to defending the, the pre-born as a, a priority in their lives and then living out that priority on a week-to-week -week basis. And so, Cam, what, what we've seen in many ways, if some of the ways we haven't talked about, some we have, is that men have been part of the problem. Men have been there encouraging their girlfriends, their wives, their friends to get abortions. Men have also been there silent 
when those around them talked about abortion uh, or when those around them uh, went to get an abortion for themselves. And and sometimes, you know, maybe there's apathy. Maybe guys are, look, are looking today being like, how can I get involved? I, I feel this, this level of guilt because I haven't really been part of the work like I, I should have been. But I think what's important is that while men have been part of the solution, and, and I include myself in the group of men, uh, having been part of the problem, rather, men can also be a part of the solution. And that's what we want to present here today. Cam, we're the Pro-Life Guys podcast. Um, maybe we should start a club sometime called the Pro-Life Guys. And we'd love to have you join this club uh, <laughs> maybe just the organization we work with and, and you work with our wonderful male and female colleagues, but we'd love to have you to join us in, in different ways, uh, in different, uh, activities, in different types and different parts of the country, maybe in different countries. We'd love to have you as colleagues of ours in the movement. Maybe you, you're thinking full-time, maybe you're thinking the first, you know, I, I'll do the pro-life week of action. It's one week. Uh, I'll, I'll be active. Maybe it's an internship. We would love for you to get involved. Cam, I know you could say this, I say this as well, is that my sins have not, you know, I am not living a perfectly sin-free life. Uh, and, and I didn't wait until that moment before I got involved in the pro-life movement. I'm a sinner who continues to sin and continues to have the need to repent of that sin, as are you. I have full confidence uh, that everyone who's listening is in that same position. And yet, I mean, this, this is not a reason to not join the movement. So hit us up with a conclusion, sir, as we slowly start to wrap this up. Yeah, I, I would just echo those sentiments of like, by God's grace, be better, do better, allow God to forgive your sins and trust in God's forgiveness, right? I feel like there's so many guys that have repented and then they just have this niggling thing in the back of their mind of like, you know what, I'm not fully forgiven. God fully forgives you. Do not undermine or underestimate or under anything else the goodness of God and his power to forgive. And not only forgiving one time, but a million times over. God is constantly there waiting for us, um, for our repentance and for his healing mercies. And so don't let the great, don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Don't say that you need to have your life perfectly um, repaired and in good repair before you start going out and trying to serve the world because none of those that have gone before you have been able to wait for that. William Wilberforce wasn't a perfect man. Thomas Clarkson was not a perfect man. Hannah Moore was not a perfect woman. Um, and, and oftentimes their sins are very well known to us, right? We, we laud, um, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And yet we know a lot of his struggles and his challenges that he had in his life. And yet he didn't allow his imperfection to hinder him in the causes. Don't allow your sins, um, whether past, present, or dare I say future, um, hinder you from being servants of God and his children. Allow yourself to be used as a tool in his hand, um, broken and battered and beaten though you may be. Um, al allow God to use you in beautiful ways and allow God's forgiveness and mercy to, um, to be present, to be complete in your life. Don't hinder God's forgiveness and mercy through your own pride or, or whatever it may be. Um, now that's a long rambly way <laughs> of saying, um, seek professional help, repent of your sins day after day and do what you can for God's glory and the, and the protection of his children, I suppose.
And with that, I want to end with a quote that I found in a blog titled, What Does Porn Have to Do With Abortion? by, yes, you guessed it, Jonathan Van Maren. And this is how he ends. I want to end with something I told a young man who asked me a solemn question. I've been addicted to porn for years, but I'm just getting free. Why would the pro-life movement want someone like me? The answer to that is simple, Jonathan writes. All of us have committed sexual sin in one way or another, and none of us is above the other. But it goes deeper than that. People who know how to root out evil and fight their own demons gain skills and virtues that will be invaluable in helping us fight the cultural demons let loose by the sexual revolution. People who know the true cost of objectifying human beings and have fought to dispel it from their lives and build the virtue to go on without their addictions know firsthand why this fight is, uh, why this fight is important. So the answer to whether the pro-life movement wants those who have battled pornography, you're exactly who we need.